Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. You know, I, I don't know. I, I tend to be sometimes an enthusiastic person, right? I don't know if you know me very well, but like if I see you, I'm like, yay! It's like too much, I know. And so through the course of my life, I've been trying and with people's help to curb certain enthusiasms that are socially awkward, right? Just like, whoa, just dial it down. And for good reason, I get it, I'm trying. But listen, one place I am determined not to curb my enthusiasm is in church. Right, good response. Like in worship, I just get enthusiastic sometimes because I love the things that God does. And when we sing about them, man, I wanna, I wanna be a part of the things God does. I wanna call those things into my life and I wanna be grateful to God that they've already happened and I believe that more is to come. And so um, there, that's just a little bit about me. But I want us to have the same enthusiasm as we come to God's word, right? This isn't just get through the lecture time. This is, this is life to us. And so it doesn't matter how old you are. I know we got our kids in today. Actually, most of our junior high and high school are all gone, but there's a remnant of a couple. Um, kids, yep, yeah, thanks. Good to see you, Malcolm, Bryson. Glad you're here representing. Um, be enthusiastic. Receive the word with joy today. Amen? Let me, let me take you right to it, because Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. And like I said last week, we are in this portion of um, Luke. It's kind of Lent season now, and we're on our way to, to the cross, right? Good Friday is coming, where Jesus dies on the cross. We remember that. Uh, and Easter's coming, where the resurrection happens. And so we're like on our road to the cross, And Jesus has taken a turn in the book of Luke, and he set his face towards Jerusalem, and he's on his way to the cross. And so we are basically going with Jesus. We're we're on this trip with Jesus to the cross. And last week, last week he said, look, unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me, you'll have no part in me. Because if you try to save your life, if you try to like hold on to everything in your life and make all your life, if you try to just hang on to your life, you'll lose it. You can't manage all that life has. But if you lose your life, i.e. if you just turn your life over to God, if you just surrender and wholeheartedly and just say, Lord, I'm entrusting you with all of me, the parts I don't like and the parts I'm quite fond of, Jesus says, if you do that, you'll find your life, true life. And so we're walking with Jesus, trying to lose our life so that we can gain the fullness of the life of God. Amen? And so these stories that we read in the book of Luke, as we're walking with him, they're helping show us how to do that. We call that today discipleship. How do I become a better disciple of Jesus? How do I learn how to follow Jesus? Because that's what Christianity is about. It's not about just 
ticking some boxes, I believe this, I believe that, I'm a Christian. No, it's about your whole life saying, whatever comes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And I want my life to be shaped and changed in some small ways, in some massive ways. I'm committing my life to following Jesus. And so we're going to follow him. And so these are the stories. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I'll start. It says this, and behold, I like that. Behold, that's kind of an old way to say, looky, looky, look what's about to happen. Or maybe it's a way that we'd say, check this out. Behold, look with your eyes, check this out. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. That's just a crazy sentence, by the way. How many people here are still in school? Any type of school? Yeah, stand up. If you are in school of any type, just stand up one second. Go on, stand up, good. Uh, Yep, good, school. All right, come on, driving school, that also counts. Stand up. If you're in driving school, very good, very good. All right, so the rest of you are in the school of life. But okay, so Jackson... What school are you in? Monster High High School. What's your role in Monster High School? Educate yourself, prepare for the future. Good answer. Are you like student role, teacher role? What's your role? Like what's your? You're a student. Okay, so just help me get this clear. So when you go to school, do you get to give tests to the teachers or do they give the tests to you? Yeah, sadly, you're still in the test. Yeah, okay. Because you're what? The student. All right, very good answer. See, A today. You guys can sit down if you're in school. Thank you, Jackson. But this lawyer stands up, this expert in the law, who's very, very smart. He knows a lot about things. He stands up, and he's going to give Jesus the test. I just think that's very powerful. Because in the teacher-student relationship, it's always the teacher who tests the student. But this lawyer, this expert thought, no, I know better than Jesus. I am going to test him, right? And I just think, how many times do we put ourselves, like, I don't know, do you kind of wish you could give your teacher some tests? Yeah, yeah, I got some things I'd like to teach them. But that's not how it works. And we have to learn as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are not the teacher, We don't test Jesus, but he is the one teaching, training, and testing us to be our very best. So this lawyer stands up, and he puts Jesus to the test, and he says this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You already know what it says. Tell me what you think of it. And the lawyer answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, what an incredible answer. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I follow God? How do I please God? What does God want from me? God in heaven, what does he want from little old me here on planet earth? And he takes it right out of the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then he says that. He says, but burn this. Press this onto your children's lives and talk about it. 
Talk about it on the road. Talk about it when you're at home. Put it on the doorpost of your house. Slap it on your forehead. Whatever you got to do. Make loving God a regular part of your conversation. When's the last time you said, God, I love you? Too long. Go ahead. Do it now. Just do it now. It's okay. Just say, Lord, I love you. You know, recently I've just determined every time I pray, I want to start by saying that. Lord, I love you. I, gotta, I want to rehearse it. I got to say it. You got to tell people in your life who are important to you that you love them. Right? I once told my uh, college buddy, there's an old John Cougar Mellencamp song that says, uh, can't tell your best buddy that you love him. And I was listening to that song one day, and I was like, you know what? I never tell any of my friends that I love them. So I went up to my buddy, Chris Bostrom. I said, hey, Chris, just want you to know. Man, Pat, on the back, I love you. He looked at me and goes, awkward. <laughs> I'm like, no, man, you're my good friend. I want you to know. He's like, okay, that's good. Some things are just left unsaid. I'm like, God. Oh. But that's like, that's what, man culture? That's what, world culture? I don't know. But when you experience and you love people, tell them you love people. And this, when it talks about loving God, tell them that you love them. Talk to other people about it. It's beautiful. And so Jesus, after he says all this, Jesus says to him, hey, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus is like, man, you already know what to do. You asked me the question, what do I have to do to get eternal life? You already know. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Two profoundly inseparable Aspects of love. If you love God, you have to love your neighbor. And so Jesus is like, man, do this and you'll live. You'll have it. Should have been the end of the conversation. It tells us one thing, though, that God looks at our our motivations. He looks at our intentions. You know, even if you don't do things right all the time, even if you, like, try to do your best and you kind of just screw it up, God still sees your intentions. They're important to God. He knows when you're trying and he knows when you're not. He looks at our intentions. The hard part is that the expert knew the right answers, but he didn't have a heart that wanted to please Jesus. He had a selfish, sinful heart. You know, I think the matter of our heart, like if you ask yourself right now, is my heart in a good place towards God? Do I have good intentions or desires towards God? Is my heart in a good place towards other people? Are my motivations towards others, are they good, are they pure? Or is it kind of like I'm just trying to get what I can, get what I can from God, get what I can from people? God cares about your heart at that underneath core level that no one else may ever see. I mean, consider these scriptures. Psalm 19 says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I mean, he's saying, God, I want, I want not just what I say, but I want my heart, my, my thoughts, and my emotions. The meditation is just like your, the thoughts you repeat, 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 repeat all the time, like that CD that's on repeat in your mind. And sometimes that CD is like, that person did me wrong, 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 I'm going to get them, that person did me wrong. And then you quite a silent it, and then before you know it, it comes right back again. These are the meditations of our heart. 
And the psalmist says, I want those meditations to be pleasing to you. First uh, Chronicles, this is a father speaking to his son. It's, it's King David speaking to his son Solomon. And he says, son, acknowledge God your father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. I read this this week, and I thought, man, as a father, man, I, I want to speak that way to my son. Hey, son, I want you to just acknowledge God, follow the Lord, and understand that it's not just the surface stuff, that God searches and he knows the depths of our hearts. He goes on to say, and if, it's, if it's, your heart's in a good place, he'll accept you and bless you, and if it's in a bad place, he'll reject you. God doesn't put up with toxic heart stuff. Some of you are in church today, and you're like, well, I'm in, at least I'm in church. Yeah, but you got the toxic heart stuff going on, and God's calling you out of that. And here's the hopeful thing. It says in Psalm 51, this is David again. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That even if our hearts are selfish, or maybe they're just hurt, and they're resentful, and they're lashing out, or, or maybe they're lonely, or maybe they're whatever. Your heart is in a bad place. David here, his heart felt so condemned and so judged because of his sin. And it was wretched sin. Stole another man's wife and then had him killed. I mean, how bad is that? And he just feels so condemned and judged. And he takes that broken heart, that sinful, condemned heart, and he brings it to God. And he says, God, create in me. A clean heart. You can't love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can't love people if your own heart is in a broken, toxic, sinful, selfish place. Philippians 2 says this, God works in you. Maybe even right now, right? God is working in you for you to will, for your desires to be right, and to act, for your actions to be right in ways that please him. This isn't something we can do on our own. This is something that God says, I will work in you. If you open your heart to me, if you genuinely go to that deep place of your heart where resentments and the toxic, selfish, me garbage dwells, he says, if you bring that to me, I will work in you to unload all of that, and I will help your heart to desire what's right and good and your life to do what's right and good. It's powerful. God will do it. He'll do it right now. This is just my introduction, so I'm going to pray right now. I did all that just to get your heart in the right spot. That's it. If God, yeah, some of you are like, yes, God, I want my heart. Listen, I'm going to pray and just, I want you to pray these things with me. Search me, God. See, test me. Maybe I'm not even aware of it. Maybe I'm like just, a fish in dirty water. I don't even realize what filth I'm swimming in in my heart. Lord, show me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, help my heart be right and good. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, purify our hearts. Look at us testing you when you're the teacher and we're the student. Purify our motivations. Cause us to love like you love. 
Help us to desire and to do that which pleases you. Lord, we confess our selfishness, our sinfulness, our stubbornness, our arrogance. Lord, we always put ourselves in the center of the frame. Move us aside. Let us put you in the center of the frame. Give us humble hearts that are eager to do good. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning, with the very power and the presence of Jesus, the risen Lord. Transform us this morning. God, as we seek to follow you, show us what it means to follow you. And God, help us to do it. Lord, I pray that our joy would be full. Our joy would be abounding. It would be abundant. You said that at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God, we don't want discipleship to be grueling. God, we want to know the joy of walking with you. And so, Lord, do this deep work in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Beautiful. So, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately for the man who asked the question, his motivations were not pure. They weren't good. He was trying to test Jesus. He's like, yeah, I'm struggling with my heart too, man. I get it. I get it, brother. That's what I'm doing right now, right here. Let it out. But he didn't. He didn't have good motivations. And so he did a follow-up. All Jesus said, man, you understand it. So all you got to do, just do that. And you'll have eternal life. You'll be blessed. And the guy's like, mm, the conversation's not over. And so we pick up in verse 29. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. Man, that is a sad, sad sentence. Would it, could you ever put your name in there? Like, and, and David, oh, Pastor Dave, trying to justify himself. Like, if your name is ever in that sentence, run away. Run away. You do not want to be in a position where you're trying to justify yourself. The Bible teaches us that the only one that can justify us is King Jesus. So be found in him. But trying to justify himself, he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a parable, a story. You'll remember this one. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him, and they beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He avoided him. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed on the other side. He avoided him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on the oil and wine, medicine of the day, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is about a day's wage, each denarii. So if you if you're make 52,000, here's easy math, $52,000 a year, he gave the innkeeper two grand. It's a lot of money to give a stranger you found in a ditch. 
The next day he went and he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. It's such a powerful, amazing story. But a couple things first. Does anyone, I mean, maybe if you used to be Catholic, have you ever had a priest, Right? In this church, we don't have priests per se. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, right? We all have connection with God and and easy access to God through Jesus. But the idea of a priest, certainly in the first century and sometimes today, is that he's he's supposed to be a godly spiritual leader, right? He's the guy that's supposed to set an example for what it looks like to follow God. And this priest saw the man beaten, naked, Half dead, laying in the ditch, he saw him, and if, you know, you're him over here, he literally crossed the road to avoid him and carried on his way. I mean, this is the guy, this is, I mean, in our setting, this is a Christian leader. He's supposed to see needs, he's supposed to love that person as he loves himself. He's supposed to do to that person as he wished somebody would do to him. But he sees him and he crosses the road and he goes on his way. And then a Levite, we don't have Levites, although we do have a couple Levi's. Is there a Levi in the room? He's a camp, yeah. He, maybe he saw the, the godly leader do this and he just followed what the leadership did. Or maybe he just did it on his own. He saw the guy in distress, dying. And he also crossed on the other side of the road and avoided him. And went on his way. Now, to the expert in the law, to the the guy who's hearing the story, a Levite and a priest, they were supposed to be kind of like the heroes of his people. They were the good people in his life. If you were a first century Jew and there was a Levite, you're like, yeah, the Levites, they're here to serve the, the temple. They're here to serve God's people. They're here to do what's right. That's their whole existence. Do what's right. Bless the Lord. Or if you're a priest, your job was to like, be the, the person between the people and God and be that intermediary and, and show the people how you're supposed to live and follow God. And both these two people who were a part of their community turned away and they wouldn't help this poor guy. I don't know why good people, even spiritual people, religious people, I don't even know sometimes why in my own heart I turn away from those in need. I wish at a core level, my heart would just always run to the person in need. But to myself, if I just, I won't do it. If it was just me, I'd do the minimal that would help people think I'm a good person, that I wasn't some evil pirate. Do you think I'm an evil pirate? No. I would just do that much, and then the rest I would avoid. Sometimes people get hurt. Sometimes, if you try to help someone, it's costly. I mean, this guy, he had to pay a lot of money to help him. He was out a couple grand. 
to this stranger? Who would give a couple thousand dollars to help a stranger? That's not a natural thing. But here Jesus is giving this as an example of what not to do. And then the Samaritan comes by. Now, is anyone here a Samaritan? You know the stories of the Samaritans? I mean, there's a long, broken history between Jews and Samaritans. They are racial enemies. I won't go into all of it, but, but in, um, what was it, five, 596, uh, Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and they destroyed all of the ten tribes. This is in B.C., right? Um, no, it was 733. That was it. Um, the numbers go backwards when you're counting down. And the Assyrians came in and they destroyed all of the ten tribes as judgment from God. And they took all the people out and they mixed them with all the other nations they've conquered. And then they backfilled the northern nation with Samaritans. And they were part Jew, but they were part all these other things. And they didn't worship God in the right way. And their, their religion and their faith was all kind of mixed up. And they were not pure, God-following, law-following Jews. And the Jews hated them for it because they, they were always at war with the northern kingdom. And, and, and so in the first century, when they talked about Samaria, there was these people. They racially, you didn't go through Samaria. If you were a Jew, you avoided, you went around It's like sometimes if you're, you know, a suburban person and you have to get somewhere, you, you go around the bad neighborhood, right? Because you know you're not welcome there. Or if you're, maybe if you're from the city, I've had people say this, they're from the city, they don't want to go out into Indiana countryside because they feel like they're not welcome there. And I've heard stories of people who were not welcome there. These were intense disagreements. Intense hatred. And anyway, so, and it's been going on for centuries. Hostile to each other. And so when Jesus tells the story, the heroes, the Jewish heroes, failed to do what was right. And then a Samaritan comes by. Someone who's not like the guy in the ditch. Someone who has a natural tendency to despise the guy in the ditch. It really almost falls under the category of love your enemies. And so this guy, not because he likes him, not because he thinks he'll get something for it, not for any other reason, but the Bible says he had compassion. This dude was lost, broken, and dying. And so compassion gripped his heart, and he went and he helped him. He cleaned him. I'm not a doctor, a medic. I don't know, but I've cleaned a lot of my children's wounds. It's messy business. It's not for those who are squeamish with blood, but he wrapped his wounds and he poured in oil and he, he tried to heal them. And then the guy was obviously too broken and too, too beat up to walk, so he took him and he put him on his own animal. And then the guy walked him, pulling his animal, his donkey or his camel or whatever he had, to a place of safety. And he probably didn't take him to a Samaritan inn. I learned that this morning. He probably had to walk him all the way to a Jewish inn. Because if he brought him to a Samaritan inn, 
they wouldn't take care of him because they hated him there. So I walked him to a place of safety and made sure that his wounds were taken care of. It's an incredible story. And here you got this expert in the law who knows with his mind to love God and to love people. But he relates more to the people that don't have compassion. And so Jesus says, which one is the good neighbor? And we all know it was who? The Samaritan. I guess the point is this. Sometimes it's surprising who are the people that have true compassion. It shouldn't be surprising. As people who know God and are loved by God, we should be filled with compassion. Why? Because we've received compassion. God has had mercy. We were the one laying in a ditch, spiritually speaking, bloody and dying. And the scripture says that God so loved us that while we were still sinners, enemies, he had compassion on us. And he died for us. I don't know if you've ever been rescued in a physical way. But it's a profound feeling. I know we've all been rescued in a spiritual way. That too should be a very profound feeling. And so it brings us to the same kind of crossroad that this lawyer did when he said, um, What's it for you? How is your heart? Does your heart have love and compassion for others? I love how it says, as the Samaritan was on his journey, he was just on his way. He didn't know what was going to happen. He wasn't prepared for this. He was probably going somewhere important. And suddenly he just sees a guy who needs his help. And he helps him. Eternal life is more than knowing the right things, folks. The Christian discipleship is not just about knowing. It's about doing. Listen to this from James 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? There's no action attached to your faith. Can such faith even save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, without daily food. If one of them says, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, does nothing about, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is in it? In the same way, faith by itself that is not accompanied with actions is what? It's dead. I love 1 Corinthians 13 when it talks about love. Let your heart just absorb some of this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Here's a good one. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The question that the lawyer should have asked, not who is my neighbor, who is it that I have to love, and who can I not love? The question is, how can I be a good neighbor? 
How can my heart be filled with the love and the compassion of a neighbor? And neighbor is not a geographic location. When you start talking about neighbors, you think about the people next to you, right, that live across the street from you. Jesus says, no, it's not about geographic location. It's about a disposition of your heart to love and have compassion on those that you come across. The world is your neighborhood. Will you love it? So we're going to end now. We're going to have communion. But I want to just bullet point these three things. As a disciple of Jesus, I want you to respond to these. So I'm going to read these three things. And if it's something that you desire, I just want you to say, yes, I want that. All right? Yes, I want that. So the first thing is, a disciple of Jesus loves God with his or her whole heart. A disciple of Jesus loves others, even if they're different than I am. A disciple of Jesus loves others, even if it's costly. And a disciple of Jesus loves others, not just with words, but with deeds. Amen. Stand up. Let's pray. God, you heard our voices. We heard your voice today. Your voice spoke to us about loving you with our whole heart, mind, soul, body, strength, and loving other people. God, we've already prayed asking you to change our hearts, to cleanse our hearts. We believe you're doing that. God, we heard your word about the Samaritan. And God, we spoken with our own words that we want to be like that. And so God, I just thank you for that grace to change. I thank you for that grace to double down on discipleship and follow you no matter where that takes us. God, I pray that you would bless now your people. Strengthen us with your spirit. Even as you've spoken with your word, let your Holy Spirit now come and take that word and bring it to life. Help it digest through our bodies, God, that we might turn it into action, that we might love and have compassion on our world. God, we understand the risks. We pray for protection. But God, we pray for courage all the same. As we take your communion, the body and the blood, God, that you taught us to do, we remember you. You are the ultimate neighbor. You left your comfort. You left your place of privilege. And you humbled yourself, taking the very form of a man. And you became obedient, even obedient to death and death on a cross. And so God, as we take this Bread, we remember your body broken for us, that we could be made whole. God, as we take this cup, we remember your blood shed for us. God, that we could be forgiven, washed white as snow, far as the east is from the west. You've taken our sins away from us. You remember them no more. That's a miracle. Even when we remember them, you don't. God, I pray that as we take this cup together, you'd bind us together as a community, as a people of God, and that, Lord, you would form in us true discipleship. We pray in your name. Amen.